good morning, friends of the Compass Church. I'm, I'm loving this new series. I love the book of Ruth. I love the concept of providence. And I'm praying you get sucked in and share that affection as this series continues. Hey, I, I want to start with a question. I, I wonder if you believe in love at first sight. Some of you are like, yeah, man, I believe it because I lived it. I saw her across the room and I thought she's the one for me. I'm going to marry that girl, right? Let's do a little survey. This would be fun. So if you're married or you were married or if you're dating someone, if it was love at first sight, raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, we have some. <laughs> I love couples where one of them is like this. <laughs> well, it was love at first sight for me with my bride. Uh, she would argue the point. She would point out that we actually grew up as kids at the same church together. So I knew of Jen, but I never saw her. The, the first time I really saw her, I knew she was the one. Can, can I describe the moment? Jen was always uh, my buddy Steve's pesky little sister, all right? And there was this one time, and this goes way back, I was 14 years old, and Jen was 13. Can you believe it? And uh, one of our, Steve and I, one of our older friends had gotten his driver's license. And so on this particular uh, afternoon, we were going out to uh, have fun. I think probably going to see a movie or whatever. This is our first time with wheels, and we were so excited. And I remember sitting in the car in Steve's driveway. Our buddy was driving, Steve and I. And all of a sudden, Steve's mom comes out, now my mother-in-law, and she says, stay right there. She said, Steve, if you're going out, you've got to take your sister with you. And we were all like, oh, man, oh. But all of a sudden, and, and I, I can remember this like it was yesterday, this vision is seared into my mind. Somehow she had grown up overnight and was transformed into a young lady of stunning beauty. She came bounding out of the house. And my, my memory is in slow motion, you know. And as she did, in my memory, there was music playing in the background. And the sun, setting sun, was shining through her hair as she did a hair flip, you know. And I was just, I was just taken. And I thought, that's the most beautiful girl in the world, and she's the one for me. And I knew it, knew it. No, Jen can't remember that day at all. <laughs> we sat next to each other in the car, and I can count the inches between us, and she can't remember it. She does remember one time seeing me around that time. It was uh, Steve's birthday party. And Jen and I were sitting across the table from each other, and I could think of no one but her. And at one point, you know, she looked my way, and I just raised her vision right into her eyes, and I flashed her a smile. I had braces at the time, and... Uh, <laughs> We were eating corn on the cob. And Jen remembers, she said, Jeff, there was the corn dangling all over. And she said, I wanted to vomit when I saw you. So, there you go. That's her first remembrance of me. So. 
So some would say love at first sight is crazy talk. Others would say, no, I believe it. As we turn to this passage, it's about to get romantic on us. And I'm going to make the case, at least, that it was love at first sight. You, you, you can look at the verses and see if you agree with me. But there's this guy named Boaz who sees this young gal named Ruth for the first time. And wow, uh, it was history, baby. So if I could remind you, this is a four-week series studying the four chapters of Ruth. Last week we were in chapter one. And if I can remind you of the drama that took place, this Ruth was a Moabite, a Gentile, not part of Israel. But a Jewish family had moved into her town and she had fallen in love with one of their sons. She had married one of their sons. And he had tragically died early in life. So here she is, a young girl, but a widow. And it's worse than that. Not only did her husband die, but her brother-in-law died, her father-in-law died, and these ladies found themselves in danger, vulnerable, and poverty-stricken. Two of them, that is Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, decided to make the journey back to the country that Naomi came from, that is Israel, city of Bethlehem. They don't know it's going to go well there, but it's worth a shot because they're really hurting. And so here is Ruth with a strange land and a strange people, and she's scared, but boy, is she courageous. And she hits the workforce. She has to, and we're about to read about it. Ruth chapter 2. If you want to grab the Bible on the CPAC, you'll find this passage on page 264. Ruth 2, verse 3. So, Ruth went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Let me hit the pause button there for a minute. Do you know what gleaning is? Uh, Gleaning was an ancient practice ordained by God. It was essentially the poor people picking up the garbage or the scraps left behind. You see, as a harvester went through, inevitably there'd be some grain that they dropped and they didn't get. And God said, you know, let the poor of the poor go behind and allow them to pick up that leftovers. When I was in college, there were some guys who claimed to be gleaners. But in their uh, expression of it, they would hop in the dumpster behind Jewel and they would find the food that had expired or was dented and they tried to argue biblical precedent here. Gleaning! That's what we're doing, you know. Admittedly, gleaning was picking up the garbage. Now, Ruth has no other employment options and so she turns to this humiliating practice and she's out there trying to get any little bit of grain that she can. As it turned out, Ruth was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Boaz, all right, remember I told you about him? He owns the field. He is rich. He is godly. I mean, the people of the town respect his character greatly. And it just so happens that she's ended up in his town, or his field. Verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. He's compassionate. He's godly. What a guy. Oh, and did I mention 
He's single. All right. Yeah. That becomes evident with his next statement. Verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, uh, who does that young woman belong to? <laughs> That's a very polite way. You know, he's assuming anybody that good looking you know, got to be married. And so I'm just going to ask, uh, who's uh, her husband? And, and the overseer, the foreman over the harvest, he says, well, it uh, turns out, She's a widow. She's not married. Oh, is that right? And they have a conversation about Ruth. And apparently Boaz had heard about Naomi returning to the town as a widow with a widowed daughter-in-law. And her reputation has gone before her. And suddenly Boaz is just really, really excited about this gleaner. I know he's excited. I'm not going to read the next nine verses, but if you do, you'll find that he introduces himself to Ruth and he's fallen all over himself. He's like, yeah, thank you for gleaning in my field. Please know you're welcome. Every day, don't go to other fields. No, those are bad fields. Come to my field. He says, I've instructed my workers concerning you to treat you well. You're, you're vulnerable in other fields. You are protected here. And he says, did you notice we have a water station for the harvesters? If you get thirsty, help yourself free of charge to the watering station that we have over here. And oh, meals, by the way, I, I provide food for all my harvesters. And uh, you're invited. Would you please come and eat? And, and then he instructs uh, some of his workers. He, he says, do you see this new girl here? Her name, her name is Ruth. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, if you find her gleaning behind you, I'm asking you to be sloppy. What do you mean, boss? I mean drop lots of grain, you know, so she's gotten over a bunch. Boss, that's bad business. Do what I say. Okay, boss. Whatever. And so that's what happens. And Ruth is like, man, these guys don't know what they're doing. Look at all this. And she ends up with a 30-pound bag of grain. She comes home to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she's like, boom. And Naomi's like, what did you do? And she's like, I don't know. It just worked out great. I found this field, met the owner. He's the nicest guy. His workers are sloppy. I mean, they were dropping it like crazy. And Naomi goes, what's going on here? Naomi asks, what was his name? What do you mean? The name of the guy who owned the field was so nice to you. Ruth is uh, Boaz and Naomi. Let me read her response. Verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is a close relative of ours. In fact, he is one of our guardian redeemers. Let's highlight that word, guardian redeemers. Some of the older versions use the term kinsman redeemer. Maybe you've heard that term before. This is a practice of God whereby God protected widows. And he would say uh, to his people that if, 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 if a gal is widowed, that family have a responsibility to help out. And, and God said that there are certain men who are close in relational proximity. And God said, I'm going to label them. I'm going to give them a title, guardian redeemer. And it is their job 
to help out them financially. Boaz is already filling the role, helping out financially as the guardian redeemer. But it was often expected that the guardian redeemer would do more than that. If he was available and if he was willing, the expectation was that he would marry the widow. And that's what Naomi's thinking here as she looks at Ruth and Boaz. She's like, he's Jewish and he's godly and he's rich and he's single. And she's thinking grandchildren. And Naomi is so excited. Now, not only does she point out the guardian redeemer status, there's something so important. I want to emphasize that here. She says God has not stopped showing his kindness to us. What does that mean? First of all, to the living and the dead. What she's referring to is her, the living, her and Ruth, but also the dead. She's saying that we're being honored by God. Uh, He's honoring our husbands who have passed away. The thing that's so important is that Naomi is not attributing her abundance of grain to good luck. You know, some might, right? Say, man, are you lucky? You just stumbled upon the right guy who's single and you're hot and it just started to work in your favor. No, no. Naomi says, this, this is, this is providence. This is God at work. This is the hand of God showing his kindness and his love to us. I know that it's not miraculous as far as like walking on water or raising the dead, but it's God nonetheless, and that's what providence is. In fact, let me provide a definition. Providence is God's intervention in the circumstances of our lives, behind the scene, invisible hand of God, working in circumstances to guide people to this field or that, to provide for people what they need. God loves doing providence. Does he love the miraculous? He does. And sometimes God does the big, bold miracles. But more often than not, God prefers the subtle, the the interaction that can be explained away from those who don't want to believe. But people of faith recognize that it's him at work. I love providence. The fact that Uh, Naomi sees this as providence, has already kind of been alluded to in verses we've already read. Maybe you you saw some interesting phrases. Maybe you missed them. Let's go back to them for for this moment. Verse 3. Do you remember this? It said uh, about her going to Boaz's field. It says, As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz. Ruth just went out to pick any old field, and it just so happened that she ended up in Boaz's field. That little phrase, as it turned out, is the Hebrew words kara mikre. And those words, that expression conveys, and lo and behold, can you believe it? Or wonder of wonders, there's amazement in it. It's, It's begging the question, how can this just happen? How about this? Leave that one there and let's add verse four. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. You say he, he owns the field. No surprise there. You should know that in the ancient culture, the owners of the field did not go to the field very often at all. They hired foremen or overseers to do that work. We know Boaz had a conversation with the overseer about Ruth. They would do their business in the city and maybe once or twice a month would go to the field just to check on how things were going. 
And it just so happens that Ruth's first day on the job, just then, Boaz arrives. The, the words just then, that's hene, another Hebrew word that means, some versions say, and behold! <laughs> and can you believe it? At that very moment, Boaz shows up. The wonder and the amazement of the timing of it all. She picked the right field on the right day. And those phrases are saying, come on, do you think that's just good luck and coincidence? No, that's providence. Folks, do you see providence? Are you aware of God at work in the circumstances? I was thinking, what's a providential story I could share with you? And one came to mind. I, I just loved uh, my small part in this story. It starts with a, a woman in our church lives in an apartment complex where she watched these kids play in the playground. And she loved the kids, and she knew them by name, and they knew and loved her. And she got an idea. She said, I'm going to give them Bibles. I'm going to get children's Bibles, and I'm going to hand them out to the kids. So she goes, all right, kids, got a gift for you today. And she's handing out Bibles to the kids in her apartment complex. And then she sees this new kid coming up to get one, and she's like, hey, oh, boy. And she goes, this could be trouble, because she knows this new kid has just come from Iran. Iran is like 99.9% Muslim. And so she's thinking, hey, this could get me in trouble. And she says to the little boy, I want to give you a Bible, but I think I should ask your mommy if she's okay with it. So the boy brings her to his apartment, and she meets the mom for the first time, a single mom with her 8-year-old son. And, and the gal from our church said, hey, I was in the Bibles, didn't know if you're okay with me giving one to your son. And the single mom goes, yes, I'm okay with it. She goes, I'm a Christian. And she's like, no kidding. Tell me your story. So the two ladies talk, and this gal from Iran, believe it or not, she was a Muslim in Iran, converted to Christianity, which is illegal. She was arrested, put on trial. Her Bible was put forth as evidence of her crime, her underlining passages, things we do all the time. That was evidence. She was thrown in jail for three months and beaten on a daily basis. Can you believe this? Well, this uh, woman from our church asked this immigrant, so do you have a church that you're worshiping at? She says, you're the first Christian I've met. And she said, no one's invited me to church. She thought you had to be invited. You couldn't just go. And so the gal from our church said, I wonder if this is providential and the Lord lining this up. Should I invite her to church or not? She's pretty smart. She said, would you please come to the Compass Church? And so this woman has been worshiping at our church for over a year now with her son. And I met her in the lobby. And I'm like, hey, tell me your story. <laughs> you were in jail for your faith? You're kidding me. I was so inspired. I shared with my wife. I met this gal from Iran and Jen says, that's so weird. She goes, I just met a woman at church in the lobby who's married to an Iranian who just came to Christ in our church uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, we should get them together. And so Jen and I invited this couple with the husband who's from Iran and this gal with her son and the two of them were at our house for dinner were speaking Farsi to each other and laughing and, and boy... It was beautiful. We were, my kids, you know, were just, you know, they 
I've never met anybody who's been in jail for their faith before and inspired. She ministered to the Griffin family in just tremendous proportion. It was so interesting because this gal lost her housing opportunity. And wouldn't you know, the, the this Iranian guy that I introduced her to at my place, his family found housing for her. Our benevolence ministry is paying for it. And then uh, she needed a job. And I just was telling the story in my small group. And one of the guys in my small group goes, the company I work for has an opening. She should apply. She applied perfect fit. And you say, boy, that's just so cool how it's all by chance falling together. That ain't chance, my friend. That's providence. It's the kind of stuff God loves doing. And you say, man, I want more of that. How do I get me some providence going on in my story, you know? That's a good question. Let me phrase the question this way. Do some people enjoy greater expressions of God's providence than others? Does God work more to bless some than others? It's a fair question. And there's an interesting verse that I skipped over that applies to that question. I skipped, uh, is it verse 12? That's, or 11, excuse me. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth in the field that day. Verse 11, Boaz said, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've been told how you left your father and mother, how you left your homeland, how you came to live with a people that you didn't even know before. You can tell he is so impressed with her courageous devotion to her mother-in-law and to God. Next verse. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Beautiful, but maybe troubling to some of you. There are two words here. Can I highlight repay and reward? You may say, I don't like those words. You know, we Christians are grace junkies. We're we're so keenly aware that we don't deserve any of the blessing God pours into our lives. You know, the cross of Christ, Jesus died offering a way that we can be forgiven of our sin. And we are so clear on this. You don't deserve it. In fact, if you think you deserve it, it's a problem. You must come saying, Lord, I, I humbly receive a gift I have not earned. Grace, undeserved blessing. And yet, rewarded? What's going on with rewarded? Folks, just because we don't deserve any of it does not mean that our behavior does not have influence on what God does. Let's talk about it. Repay. What does repay mean? Well, Ruth has lost much. Some of it was not her doing, the loss of her husband. Some of it was out of obedience to what God was leading her to do. She left her friends, her family, her home because she believed God was calling her to. And God sees her loss. And Boaz says, yeah, I know what God's going to do. He's going to bless you because of your sacrifice. Do you see that? Uh, There was a passage in Joel that we studied this summer that said, God will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Sometimes when we sacrifice and lose and suffer for the sake of obeying God, God says, I want to bless you. 
and fill the void of what you've given up. How about this word reward? He says, may you be richly rewarded. God promises rewards for our devotion. In heaven we'll get rewards, but even here on earth. God says, those who honor me, I will honor them. And people who live for Jesus Christ, it's not word only, it's devotion. They are giving because God told them to give. They are serving because God told them to serve. They are loving the community and sharing the good news of Jesus, inviting people to church. They're out there living it. God says, you wait. Now, can God work providentially in anybody's life? He can and does. But know that there is a heightened level of his blessing going out to those who are following him with wholehearted abandon. One way to phrase this in an outline form is that if we're going to have three observations or things we should do in regard to providence, here's one. Qualify for it. Be like Ruth. Be like Ruth, who is so courageously devoted to the cause of Christ that the Lord says, I'm going to repay you, I'm going to reward you. Oh, get ready. Right. So that's the first thing we can do. The second thing is found in this phrase. You have come to take refuge. Let's call it ask for it. Boaz says, Ruth, you've come to the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, you've come to God. God of Israel, and said, give me refuge. You're seeking his protection and provision. For Ruth, that was a geographic move. For us, we don't have to move geographically. We just have to turn to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I'm seeking refuge from you. I need your help. I'm looking to you. And folks, when you understand providence, you begin to pray for it. Lord, you know how you can work in the circumstances? Well, I got a problem here, and it'd be really nice to have you work in the circumstances providentially here. <laughs> Yesterday, I lost my phone for 24 hours. Make a person crazy, you know, misplace it. And I go, Lord, I hate to like, use my message here, but I'm preaching on providence, and it'd be really nice if you would, you know, do what I got to do. And sure enough, I uh, found my phone. And someone would say, good luck. Uh, you're wrong there. All right, let's, let's move this uh, up. Qualify for it. Ask for it. And I just want to add one more. Look for it. Some people miss it. Some people, God is at work be in the circumstances and they're blind. They don't even recognize that that's God. Naomi, she saw it. She's like, Ruth, tell me again what happened today. Ruth explains it, and Naomi says, I know what that is. That's God. He is showing his kindness to us. He's at work providentially. And pray, say, God, open my eyes that I may see what you're doing in my life. Let me be aware, enjoy awareness of your providential hand at work every day of my life. Help me recognize that's not a chance encounter with this person. But that's you lining it up. Help me recognize that this opportunity is you lining it up. Help me recognize that uh, this idea is you lining it up. God, open my eyes that I may recognize your prayer. So qualify for it. Live the Christian life so that the Lord says, oh, you're like Ruth. I'm going to repay. I'm going to reward. Ask for it. Say, Lord, I'm seeking your refuge, your help. And look for it. 
uh, every day, everywhere. Well, you say this this may sound corny to you. I, I have been thinking about providence all the time. I'm playing this silly game, and, and I see it coming together. Maybe you can see it with me. This game is called uh, Labyrinth. Have you played it before? It's got these knobs that you turn, and by turning these two knobs, it adjusts this platform, and the little marble rolls, and the goal is to roll it along the line and to avoid, as like 38 holes, traps, and you can't, can't go in them. And, and I'm like, man, this is providence. We're like the little marble. God has got a firm grip on the control knobs of our lives, and God loves to guide us and to help us avoid those pitfalls, and to take us on a path through the maze of life that results in great victory. And I thought, that's it. And a demonstration may be helpful. I'm actually getting pretty good at this game. I'm getting really good at this game. And we have a camera lined up right over there. And so without further ado, here's how it works. All right, I'm, I'm pulling your leg. There's no marble in this game. I, I'm terrible at this game, horrible. I found that video on YouTube, and that guy is amazing. Not only, not only is he amazing, God is amazing at providence. I pray that this would be your life that God would be writing your story, that you'd say, I don't, I don't want control, Lord. You control, guide, provide, lead, write my story, make it beautiful. May I be on a wild adventure every day wrapped up in your providential involvement in my life. May it fill my heart and advance your cause and delight your soul, Lord. Can I pray for you? God, we thank you so much for your grace demonstrated to us through this thing called providence. And God, we want more of it. We want so bad for our days, every day, to be marked by your hand, your invisible hand at work. Lord, let us live for you courageously as Ruth did. Let us charge into the field that you're nudging us into. God, help us to pray in humble dependence. Help us to look ever vigilant. And God, help us to enjoy your grace at work in our lives every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.